were not here last week, um, we did this last week, but if you weren't here, at the end of each of your rows, there is a card uh, for information that has your name, birthday, cell number, email, and really what we're asking you to is to fill one of these out per family, okay? So the sermon's going to last about mm, 40 minutes, let's just be honest here, and uh, you're going to have plenty of time to fill out your card uh, for your family. We have upgraded our database operating system at the church, and it's called Realm, and you see a little symbol there. We have gone from the 1990s version to the 2019 version. It's critical. Yeah, it's an upgrade of the church. Yeah, that's exciting, isn't it? I didn't know y'all were going to be so excited about that. But anyhow, um, we really need good information. And quite honestly, a lot of you, we have this information on. Maybe we want to make sure that it's up to date. And it's going to give us the capabilities as a church to make sure that we do a good job of connecting uh, among ourselves, our life groups, uh, ministry teams. Also, it's going to give you some capabilities that relate to your giving. And we're going to be talking about those more in the weeks to come. But what I'll ask you to do to start with is to, if you weren't here last week and you didn't fill one out, to go ahead and fill that out. And then all we'll ask you to do is just leave that on the pew. And we'll pick it up later. If you don't feel comfortable leaving at the pew, just look for a staff member, hand it to them. You could put it in the offering plate. Uh, but I think our preference would be just leave it in the pew and we will pick it up this week. So we appreciate that. Hey, it's been a while since I've done a map. I know some of you who are map people have felt a little geographically challenged for the last several weeks because we just haven't done a map. So today is a map. Now here's the interesting thing about today's map. We, um, we started, uh, obviously, at the first of the year, 2019, one big story, and we started talking about what God was doing, and we started in Mesopotamia, and I had maps of that, and then we had Abraham wandering to the land of Canaan, we've been to Egypt, we've been through Sinai, we've been back to the promised land, we've settled. Here's the crazy thing of where we are in the story, and this is very significant, is that geographically... Uh, there is a focus now, quite honestly, for much of the rest of the story, and it focuses not on a region, but it focuses on a city, and that city is Jerusalem. Now, if I'm just projecting out of where we're going months from now, quite honestly, uh, the map, something's going to happen. There's going to be several things, that, quite honestly, that happen in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, then the map is going to blow up, and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. But for, man, about a thousand years, the focal point geographically is the city of Jerusalem. Uh, King David, seven years into his reign, he goes to the city of Jerusalem uh, to make it his capital. Now, Amy and I are going, yes, in a couple months. Uh, yeah, we're excited about that. I'll, I'll have more information when I get back. But this is just from book study. Really all I know is what I can read on the internet and study in a book right now. I haven't been there. But here's the interesting thing. This is the city, and I'm going to use my red pointer over here, and I'll, I'll flip it over here if I'm real good. Um, Originally, the, city, 
Jerusalem was this settlement right here on this little hill. And this is not the highest hill. Uh, there's an ancient name uh, called Ophel. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, to help you put this into context, this first little hill that David settles is about 60 acres. Think about that. It's not very large. I think my neighborhood's probably about that. But the original settlement is this. This is actually a ridge, and there was a wall around it, and it was a Jebusite city. And David came, and he took the city. Uh, strategically, you could live within this citadel uh, because there was a spring over here that fed this with water source. And so this little hill becomes what the Old Testament calls the city of David. It is the city of David. And even though this map has Mount Zion listed right here, a lot of scholars would say this first little mountain, only about 60 acres, is also called Zion. Now, you've probably never thought about this, but there is a psalm that says as the mountain, and there's a song that we sang years ago, speaking of the 1990s, if not the 80s, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. There are other mountains around this, but we're starting right here with this little 60 acres that David took and made it his capital, and he brought the Ark of the Covenant somewhere in here, and he built his own house. Now, uh, wow, this is going to kind of show my hand of where I'm heading today, but this is at a lower elevation uh, than the hill that's over here. Uh, this is the Mount of Olives over here. There is a hill right here, and actually you can see it on the map if you know what you're looking at, but um, if your neighbor doesn't know what that is, then don't say anything to your neighbor. There is a hill right there. It is, there's a ridge, the city of David, Mount Zion, but if you go up from that in elevation, there's another hill, and it's a hill called Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. Um, in David's life, it was significant because some chapters later than what we will look at today, uh, God judged David for a choice that he made. I don't have time to tell that story. But there was an angel that was coming, and he was taking out people. And he came to a spot here on Mount Moriah that in those days, I don't think there was much of a development there. And it was called the threshing floor of Ornan. There was a man there that he threshed out his grain in this open area. And David came to that point and asked that God's hand be stayed from the death of the death angel. And that death angel stops at the threshing floor of Ornan. And David builds an altar there. And he sacrifices to God whose hand was stayed. It's on Mount Moriah. Uh, you're not supposed to know this yet, but the temple will be right there on Mount Moriah where David built the altar. The Ark of the Covenant is down here, but David builds an altar right here at the threshing floor of Ornan, and he buys the land. And he builds an altar and they sacrifice to God there. 
And when Solomon, his son, builds the temple, it's there on Mount Moriah. <laughs> oh, my. This is, I'm about to blow your mind. I'm serious. Mount Moriah was the mountain that a thousand years before this, when Abraham lived in the land of Canaan and had a son, Isaac, and God says to Abraham, go to a mountain that I will show you and there sacrifice your son on an altar. It's not this mountain. It's not this mountain. It's not the Mount of Olives. It is Mount Moriah that Abraham goes to and a thousand years before this time, God says, take your son, your only son and sacrifice him there to me and most of you know the story I don't remember if we told it in the series but the hand of God has stayed and there is a substitute there is a ram caught in the thicket that God said don't sacrifice your son but take that ram and sacrifice there and so from ancient times it was a holy place and um, without unveiling the whole part of the story, it's going to be highly significant in the next thousand years. But I don't know. If you're not geography people, then this is the geography lesson, and it is now over the hill of what is called the City of David or Mount Zion. But I want you also to know as we talk today about the temple that David wants to build, build then it is going to happen on Mount Moriah the interesting part of the story that we come to in the one big story is that not only geographically does the story come to a focal point but even more significant than that the story also has a focal point of a person and we're going to see that in the scripture today and I'll go ahead and tell you it's not David David is not going to be the focal point but there is as the story unfolds the story of God's redemption there is a focal point of a person not only geographically but personally the story will be narrowed down to a person. And so normally we cover chapters and chapters and chapters. Today I've got one chapter. You think we'd get through early, Brother Josh? It's not going to happen. <clears throat> uh, it's told in First Chronicles. It's also told in Second Samuel chapter 7 because they are parallel passages. First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings tell the story of uh, all 12 tribes First uh, and Second Chronicles is David-centric, that it focuses on David. His lineage that leads to David, what David does, particularly in the spiritual realm, and the descendants of David who sat on the throne until the time that God came to this city uh, and used the Babylonians to carry them off into captivity. Here's the story, First Chronicles chapter 17. It says, Now it came to pass, when David was dwelling in his house, 
that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But it came, I'm sorry, but it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Uh, Wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a name like the name of the great men who were on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. Also, I will subdue all your enemies. And here it is. I think what we want to focus on today. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. Now, I really got to call it a time out there to say what God is saying through the prophet Nathan is, David, you wanted to build me a house. I want you to know that I am building your house, or what we would say household or lineage today. David already had a house. It wasn't a physical house. He said, no, I'm going to build your house, your lineage. You are a man after God's own heart. You wanted to esteem me greatly. You honored me greatly. And David, you wanted to build me a house out of honor, but I want you to know that my plans are bigger than that. I don't want, to, I don't want you to build me a house. I want to build your house. And there's great significance to that house, his lineage. And it says then in verse 11, And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up, keyword, your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne, another key word, forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom another key word, forever. And his throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. 
David came to God with a plan that he would build him a house. But God had a bigger plan. It was a plan that was beyond an earthly house for God or a throne for a king. Now there is an immediate fulfillment to this, and we will see this next week, that David's biological son, Solomon, will build God a tabernacle on Mount Moriah. There is an immediate fulfillment to this. But there is something that is beyond Solomon, that is beyond an earthly temple. It is something that denotes that God had a bigger plan than what David had in mind. And it hinges on the word that is used three times as the prophet spoke to David when he says, forever, forever, forever. If you begin to think about it, you go, wait a second, okay, your son's going to build you a, a temple. Here's the thing, that son is going to die. He is not going to sit on the throne forever. Now, they don't know this, but Solomon's going to build this temple, and in another couple hundred years, the Babylonians are going to come, and they're not going to only tear down the walls of Jerusalem, they're going to tear down that earthly temple. And that temple was not forever. God begins to show David through Nathan the prophet that he has a bigger plan. It is what I would say today that God has a forever plan. If you've been here all these weeks, one of the things that we really haven't talked about is eternity. We've talked about this plan and God's hand being on circumstances and God working. We've, we've talked about the earthly story of what God was doing, but we have not talked about eternity. And you get to this little sliver of the story of the covenant that God makes with David and you begin to see when he uses the word forever, forever, forever that it's not just that God has a plan for this earth but God has a forever plan. There is something bigger that God is going to do. And what the prophet says is that there will be this person a son of David. And that's very significant. I cannot emphasize it enough, the phrase son of David, because this prophecy was spoken to the people, to David, and they began to understand, even beyond Solomon, there was something greater that God was doing. There was this figure. When I've told you all these stories of all these people, what I'm saying to you is not only geographically has the, the story come to a focus, but personally the story is coming to a focus and in these days they began to understand there is a figure in the future someday that is, and the first initial phrase is a, the son of David, the son of David. And that son of David 
you got to get this. We'll build a forever temple, and he will be a forever king that sits on the throne. There's really two, two parts to it. There's two things, and it's kind of interesting. There is a temple that God talks about, and there is a throne. Now, if you think about it, the temple is the place where God dwells and God reigns. It is where the presence of God is. The throne is where the king sits. But there's a, there's a dual prophecy here, and it's all going to come together, and we're going we're to wrap it up here in about the next 15 minutes. You're going to see the story. But the son of David will build a forever temple, and he will sit on that throne forever. That's what God begins to say here. The story in this chapter begins to narrow its focus to a figure called the son of David. Now, if I had to help you put this in perspective of what we've talked about in the last several months, is that God loved mankind. And uh, there is this scripture for Adam and Eve that when they've sinned and God curses the serpent, God says, this is what God said, there will be, he said this to the serpent, there will be enmity between you, the serpent, the evil one, and the woman's seed. And you will bruise his head, but he will bite your heel. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's going to crush your head. There's something there. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a duel. You, you will bite his heel, but he will crush your head. And then we push out the story another couple thousand years, and all of a sudden, God has said, there, I've got a plan for the seed of Eve, mankind. And all of a sudden, the story begins to narrow in Genesis chapter 12, and it comes to Abraham. Of all the peoples of the earth, God chooses one, Abraham. And he says to Abraham, through you and your descendants, your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But I'm telling you today, the story narrows even more drastically because among the descendants of Abraham, God narrowed it down, not simply to the tribe of Judah, but within the tribe of Judah, to the family of David. And God said, you so esteemed me that I will esteem you. And there is coming a figure who will be the son of David, who will come in your lineage, and he will build a forever temple, and he will sit on the throne as a forever king. The story focuses and narrows to this figure, the son of David. And as the scriptures unfold and as the story will unfold, details emerge about this figure called the son of David. And actually in our scripture today in verse 13, we have some indication because God says through Nathan, 
I will be his father. You go, wait a second, how does that work? Wait a second, I thought you said this was going to be a son of David. How could this be God's son? How does that work? But the scripture says that he will be the son of God. The amazing thing, and we looked at this last week, the book of Psalms. The Psalms, who obviously are written by David or the worship leaders of David predominantly, when you begin to read the Psalms, you begin to see that this figure, this son of David, uh, details begin to emerge of his life and who he is. Um, this is very significant at this point in the story. There is, a, there is a title that is affixed to the son of David at this point. And we begin to see it in the Psalms. David, the chosen one. And it is the title, and we're going to see this for the rest of the story. It is the title Messiah. The son of David will be the Messiah. Now, when you take the Hebrew word Messiah, it is the word anointed one. Messiah is a word that means anointed one. Uh, when we come to the New Testament, uh, the Greek word is Christ, or translated in, transliterated into English, Christ. Uh, and I don't know if I wrote that down on your sheet. Look at your reference sheet. Did I write that down? Eh, maybe not. I should have. You've got this. You've got this. It'll, it will be on the, the test. Uh, the son of David is the Messiah or the Christ. He is the anointed one. Think with me. Who is it that they anoint? They anoint kings. To say that he is the anointed one is to say that he is, he is king. Uh, he is the one that God anoints. It's the one that God chooses. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, uh, the Christ. And you begin to see in the book of Psalms, and if you look at your sheet, I, I put those down because it's way too much detail for us to cover this morning. When you read the book of Psalms, the inspired scripture from David and his worship leaders, they begin to give us the details of this figure who is the son of David. That quite honestly, early on in Psalm chapter 2, he is declared to be not only the son of David, but he is the son of God. And we actually we see this in some other Psalms, Psalm 110. Uh, the psalmist focuses much of his attention, David and his worship leaders, on the death of this figure, the son of David. And you see those listed there that he will be betrayed by a friend, he will be falsely accused, hated without cause, he will be forsaken by God, he will be mocked by men, his hands and feet will be pierced, his clothes will be gambled away, uh, he will be given bitter drink, none of his bones will be broken. And then, even we saw this Easter Sunday morning from Psalm 16, that son of David, even though he will, be, he will die that kind of death, that he will, he will not suffer corruption, he will not stay in the grave, he will be resurrected from the dead. And then there are 
a whole number of psalms that he will forever reign over all things at the right hand of God. And so God makes a covenant with David that one of his sons will build a forever temple and will be a forever king. And when we see the Psalms, they begin to give us details. We don't have time to cover it this morning, but you can go to the prophets. And the prophets that follow this begin to give us details of this Messiah, the son of David. You're not going to believe this. In the first gospel, Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1, of all the things that could start the New Testament, Matthew says in the first verse, I was going to quote it, but I'll, I'll butcher it. I'll get it wrong. Sorry, I didn't know there's so many pages between Malachi and Matthew. Come on. I'm going to get there. I'm there. The New Testament begins. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And when you read the gospel stories, I know, I know in Matthew's gospel six times people look at Jesus and they refer to him as the son of David. Uh, there's a scripture in one of the stories. He performs a miracle. Uh, Matthew 12. Uh, actually, we had this in life group a couple weeks ago. The crowd says among themselves, could this, seeing the miracles that he performed, could this be the son of David? Even though a thousand years have passed between the prophecies and what started, a thousand years later, they are still waiting for that one person who is known by the title Son of David. Could this be the Son of David? I don't know if you remember this, but when Jesus, during the triumphal entry, uh, Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, he enters into Jerusalem and they are praising him, they say, Hosanna to the son of David. It was a messianic title. You are the anointed one, the Christ, the one that was promised, the son of David, who would build a forever temple and a forever king. We don't have time to cover it. We'll talk about it when we get to the New Testament. But the Jewish people were so focused on that earthly kingdom and an earthly king that they miss the significance of Jesus because here it is. Even though the story focuses and narrows down to this son of David figure, that's not the end of the story. It's not like, oh, we made it. The king got here. He's going to build the temple. In fact, there was a lot of misunderstanding. It goes beyond that. I told you that God has a forever plan. Yes, it passes through the son of David, but it is not an earthly temple. It is not an earthly king who sits on a throne. It is an eternal city, country, temple, 
and it is an eternal throne that God spoke about. Um, there's an interesting story. I'm going to read this. Uh, in Matthew chapter 21, it kind of somewhat brings all this into focus. Uh, you know what, Peyton? That's a typo. It's, it's Matthew 22. They're not going to have this on the screen. I'm sorry. Wrong verses, wrong chapter. I don't, did I write down Matthew 22 or do you have Matthew 21? It doesn't matter. It's either going to pop up on the screen or I'm going to read it right now. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, the religious leaders have been disputing with Jesus in the last week of his ministry. And it says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. <laughs> They've been throwing out these questions and Jesus has been making them look uh, silly. About to use another word that's apparently small children aren't supposed to hear or use or anything. Uh, and so this is, Jesus said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Fielded all your questions now. I have a question for you. Verse 42. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Hmm. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. How could it be in Psalm 110 that David, referring to his son, calls him Lord? Because his son would be Lord. The religious leaders knew that that messianic figure that they looked forward, forward to was to be the son of David. But he was more than to be a biological son in the lineage of David. But he was also to be uh, the son of God. And so he comes from Mary who comes from the lineage of David. On his mama's side, he's from David. Mm. From his daddy's side, he's from glory. And so he is the son of David, and he is the son of God. When Jesus, uh, we're, about to, we're about to pull it all together. When Jesus cleansed the temple, <clears throat> He makes a statement to the religious leaders. They brought it up at his trial, in fact. They brought his words back to him. I don't know if you remember this. Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. Hmm. I think Jesus loved messing with people's minds. God had promised there would be a forever temple and there would be a forever throne. God resides in the temple. The king sits on the throne. And the biblical writer said that Jesus was referring to his body, obviously. Why was he referring to his body? Because God dwelt there. The temple is wherever God dwells. 
And really what he, he was slamming the earthly temple to say, you think God dwells here? No, this is the temple. And you destroy this temple and you're going to do it because I'm going to make you mad. You're going to kill me. I will raise it up in three days. And they say, Herod, it took Herod 46 years to build this temple and you're going to rebuild it again in three days? Oh, you don't understand. Here's the amazing thing that goes on is that Jesus then comes and he sends his spirit upon his people in the day of Pentecost. And the apostle Paul would say, remember where, where, what Paul would say, where is the temple? The temple is in you. You are the temple of Christ because the spirit of God dwells in you. And you go, oh wow, what a wonderful promise. That God's promise is that we were going to be his temple. I'm telling you today, God has a forever plan. <laughs> That's just the earthly plan. And we know that Jesus sits at the right hand of God on the throne. But God has a forever plan. And yes, he poured out his spirit and we can be called as the people of God, the temple of God, because the spirit of God dwells inside of us. But that's not the end. When God talks about this, he's talking about eternity. And yes, the focal point is upon Jesus and it passes through Jesus, but the eternal plan passes through Jesus to get us to a place that is forever, that ultimately the promise is of heaven where there is a forever temple where God dwells forever and ever and ever. And in that temple there will be a throne where the king will sit. God and his son will be at the right hand. Actually, it's blasphemy to say that there would be a throne inside a temple because a temple is a place where you worship God, not the king. But you see, the throne and the temple all come together in eternity according to God's plan. Uh, it is the place where God dwells and God sits on the, on the throne as the forever king. Now, I say all that to say The covenant that God makes with David brings the focal point down to a person and it is Jesus Christ of Nazareth who fulfills that prophecy to be the son of David who will build a forever temple and will be a forever king. Everything lines up in the story with Jesus Christ, the chosen one. All of the story points to him. And the, the, the message to us today is that God has a forever plan. And don't miss this. That plan goes through Jesus and Jesus alone. There is no other way. There is no other religious leader, there is no other prophet, there is no other way that we will experience the forever temple and the forever king except through Jesus Christ. And when the gospel message that God's story is told, the question becomes, does my life line up with what God's story lines up in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the forever king who will dwell in a, in a forever temple 
Don't you remember with his disciples in the upper room? In John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said, I'm going to build the forever temple. And I will sit at the right hand of God the Father, the forever King, who will be worshipped forever and ever. The story all converges in a focal point on Jesus. And either our lives will line up with that or we will miss what God's story is all about. Amen? Amen. Amen. This morning I'm going to ask you to stand. And uh, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want you to know that if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is the only way of salvation, and all of the story leads up to Him and from Him into eternity. And today, you can line up your story with His story by the surrender of your heart and life to what God has said is the focal point and the only way to eternity. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And so, Father, we ask uh, that you would work in our hearts and those that, Father, have not chosen you yet today would choose you. And we trust this to you in Jesus' name. 